You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Chris, last week with Andrew Colvin, I think some listeners didn't get the message there. I'll give you an example. I got one letter from a listener who said, well, you know, they can't go along with him because he doesn't seem to believe in UFOs. Now, maybe I'm getting too old for this kind of work, but as I recall it, Andrew Colvin talked about, yes, military disinformation and contacts, UFO sightings, also abductions, but he didn't dismiss the possibility of some kind of paranormal phenomenon. Did I get it wrong? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we didn't really address the subject of UFOs, which which is actually a good thing, I think. I think uh, the UFO topic gets uh, way more coverage on <laughs> the Paracast than obviously all, all the other uh, amazing paranormal mysteries that we, we deal with on the show. And I think we, we did kind of stay away from that whole subject, but I never got the impression uh, that he didn't think UFOs were a real mystery. He was not, in my view, you know, broadly paintbrush stroking away the phenomenon and, and trying to argue that all these sightings are, you know, military craft or, or you know, as yet uh, undefined natural phenomena or whatever. I, I, I did not get that impression at all. So I'm not sure, you know, what our listener was referring to. I think part of it is the inability of some people to look at a gray area and realize it's not all black and white. You know, obviously, not all UFO sightings are real, represent something unknown. Only a small percentage do, actually. Not all cases of abductions may represent the possibility of E.T. abducting people. There may be lots of other answers. There may be many answers to the UFO mystery that include natural, paranormal, whatever. There could still be an E.T. out there, or a race of E.T.s, many races, coming to our planet and doing exploration, but that doesn't mean there aren't paranormal events that occur in connection with those UFOs or can be used to explain some of those cases. Even at the time that we talked about crypto-terrestrials with the late Mac Tonys, I don't think Mac ever said there can't be extraterrestrial UFOs, just that some might be sourced here. So why does it have to be either or? Yeah, exactly. I mean, life is uh, you know a series of... Uh of gray areas uh, that get lighter and darker. But, I mean, the very the very phenomenon of, of Mothman could be, by literal definition, defined as a UFO. So in, in, in my view, Mothman is, is that one of those perfect illustrations of how the UFO phenomenon ties into the paranormal because there are so many elements that, that just you can't explain uh, away. And I really liked Andy's appearance on the show. And I'm really surprised the forum has, we haven't seen one single response. I thought that the our listeners would be up there on the forum just posting away their opinions on, on the many subjects that Andy covered and, and some of the, the wonderful little factoids that he has uncovered in his many years of investigating that case that, that most people aren't aware of about Mothman. Of course, we're all sort of pre-programmed uh, if we're John Keel fans with the Mothman Prophecies Keel's uh, excellent book and I'm really surprised and actually I'm scratching my head wondering uh, why the you know that particular show has been one of the few that has generated absolutely no responses in the in the couple of days following the broadcast 
I understand we're doing this on a Tuesday. The show will be heard on a Sunday. And I know we said this once before with another show. Gee, why aren't we getting responses? And I think that very day or the next day, the boards opened up and soon we were inundated with yeah, responses to that particular show. Right. You remember that? Yeah, I do. So it could happen. And I think there are some significant issues there. Like, for example, UFO abductions. Are some of these staged? You know, yeah, are exactly. some of these attempts to perform some kind of mind control experiment? We know the government was doing a lot of strange things in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, etc. And some of those things weren't very helpful in terms of being of benefit to the population. However, however, the act of the government in doing this kind of stuff doesn't mean that E.T. isn't around abducting people to perform experiments. I don't know. I do know that we've talked to some people about abductions on the Paracast. I remember a guy named Doug. Doug's a Canadian fellow who did a really fascinating interview with us on the Paracast. And then I had a conversation with him a few months later. And we talked on the phone or actually on Skype for about an hour. And I got more information, more details about his abductions. In his case, it doesn't seem that he was involved in some kind of government experimentation. He had suffered from a very severe trauma. Something happened to him. We'd like to know what. Was it E.T.? Did he suffer from some kind of unknown mental illness? I don't know. I just think that this kind of event or any of these events cry out for an explanation. And as I said, it's not always going to be either or. It can't be either or. Too much going on out there. In fact, even when we've discussed UFOs here on the Paracast, I think we are one of the few shows where we speak of other possible answers to the phenomenon. We right, no, no G- knee-jerk ETH uh, assumption, uh, which I think is important. And I think what's one of the reasons why the Paracast sometimes gets unfair criticism from some people, because we won't simply accept the explanations that are offered. We're going to consider a lot of possibilities because the jury is out. Maybe Stan Friedman is totally right about everything he says. By the way, Stan is going to be on our show with John Alexander, a great debate about whether there is a military UFO cover-up later this month. And we want you to go to the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com where you can post your questions for John and Stan. And we're going to see what happens. We haven't really organized the debate structure because if we're asking your questions, then in that case, it may be something that only one of these two people can answer. We're working out the structure to see how it will work. It'll be on the Paracast in a couple of weeks, so stay with us. We'll also be hearing from Peter Robbins, who was part of the Intruders Foundation, worked very closely with the late Bud Hopkins, and has lots of insights about the subject of UFO abductions, but he'll also talk about Rendlesham Forest. What new events or what new information do we have about the Rendlesham Forest sightings, more evidence? What can we find out about them? I wanted to add one more thing. Not long after we recorded the first part of this week's show, we started seeing messages on our forums about Andrew Calvin. So there you go. But today we're going to look at a subject that may or may not be out of place 
because that's the <laughs> or book. Space and time. <laughs> Out of place in time and space, inventions, beliefs, and artistic anomalies that were impossibly ahead of their time. The author is Lamont Wood. Chris, tell us about what you discovered about this guy and this book. Well, I, you know, when the book came out, uh, and it's it it just came out uh, about a month or two ago, and. I happened to read a couple of reviews on it, and it brought up some very interesting subject areas um, about um, historical uh, inventions, details in the corners of paintings, objects found in tombs, things that are totally out of place and seem far ahead of their time in terms of when they were allegedly created. And then when we subsequently discover them, they seem to hint that ancient man or, in some cases, uh, medieval man had more knowledge about science and uh, you know the cosmos than conventional wisdom would uh, would normally suggest. And this book is incredibly well researched. It's it, it, it's just impeccably written. The examples that he gives to show that we should be looking at um, ancient and medieval man in a in a new and different light in terms of what they actually knew, uh, the types of uh, abilities they had to determine particular scientific principles. The book is chock full of just anomalies that just absolutely don't make sense. They're totally out of place in time, and I'm really looking forward to talking with uh, Lamont about all these things. The book book is called Out of Place in Time and Space. Lamont Woods, the author, and with Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. I've got to tell you about this. GoToMeeting by Citrix, the way I meet online with my colleagues, has just added high-definition group video conferencing. It's called GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Now you can collaborate with anyone around the world face-to-face. And I've used GoToMeeting HD Faces because it's awesome. You see the facial expressions, and that can express so much more than words. Of course, the video quality is so clear and natural, it's got the highest resolution in the industry. Nothing compares. GoToMeeting with HD Faces will make your online meetings even more personal, engaging, and effective. Plus, it's so easy to use. All you need is an internet connection and a webcam. I want you to try GoToMeeting with HD Faces. My listeners can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com. Click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. The promo code is PODCAST at GoToMeeting.com. When making important financial decisions, you should always know the facts. That's why Midas Resources is willing to pay you to read the facts. Midas Resources, a team of hand-picked financial specialists with decades of financial experience who are ready to provide you with state-of-the-art, up-to-date financial services. Midas Resources offers a host of services and stands behind their products. In fact, if you call and order their free Midas report, Midas Resources will pay you. This detailed report will provide you with financial history on the safest and most profitable areas to invest in. If you read the report, Midas Resources will send you a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. So what are you waiting for? Get the facts and call Midas Resources toll-free at 888-292-2709. That's 888-292-2709. And remember, if you read the Midas report, you'll receive a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! 
Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA. But Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins. Toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, we have Lamont Wood. He's author of a new book called Out of Place in Time and Space, which rhymes, of course, with a subtitle, Inventions, Beliefs, and Artistic Anomalies that Were Impossibly Ahead of Their Time. Now, when I read the title of this, I say to myself, Ancient Astronauts? Is that an inspiration or a possibility? Is that what you're hinting at here? Not really. That's not what I was getting at. Let's put it that way. Since the book has come out and I've talked to all these people about it, I realize that a lot of people are really into ancient astronauts. But uh, no, that's not what it was about. There, there's stuff in there in the 20th century, for that matter, in the, in the 19th century. But And it's better documented, too. <laughs> but uh, uh, my viewpoint is that there are monumental mysteries everywhere you look. And you don't have to be going into these barely documented ancient monoliths or whatever which, as it turns out, we know very little about. Uh, of course, we know very little about it. I mean, people didn't practice literacy back then. If they did, uh, nothing survived to us. Um, but there are monumental mysteries about the stuff going on around us, for that matter. So um, uh, I looked into what they call them, outliers. And anytime you gather data on a particular topic, you're going to run into outliers. And, um, and th- that's normal. And, uh, and you can go to college and take a couple semesters of statistics and learn how to what's safe to throw away and what isn't. 
Um, but I, I found things that basically kind of fly in the face of any linear concept of history, uh, things that are, you would think really shouldn't be there. And I wrote it up as a like a collection of magazine articles, each one a standalone. And I tried to make it entertaining and uh, hope I did. But the best example of what it was after was the one I left led off with in Chapter 1. It's been hanging uh, on the wall of a, of a museum in France for probably centuries. And in the last few decades, no one paid that much attention to one of the details of the picture that now leaps out at us. It's fairly conventional uh, church painting uh, of a Madonna and child. The Christ child is sitting in the lap of the Virgin Mary. But nowadays, we tend to look at what the Christ child is depicted as doing. And what he is doing is playing with a pull-string flying toy helicopter, which is really weird because that painting was made in about 1460. And usually they, they would say, you know, standard history say was, the helicopter was invented in about 1906, something like that. And then they finally got reliable mass-produced versions in the 1940s, which is all true. But this kid is actually playing with a flying toy helicopter. There's no getting around it. So... Um, when I kept finding these things, I'd look for a high concept to fit it in. So I just didn't want to say, you know, crazy junk or something. And I came up with this, came up with the concept of uh, uh, what I would call, I came up with the name reverse anachronism. Um, and the standard anachronism is where you go to the movies, and the movies is about Rome, and the actors are speaking English. But the audience is speaking Latin because the movie's about Rome. But you accept that because you don't know Latin. It's like now, Star Trek, where you have all those alien beings who speak English, but then they have a universal translator. Even oh, yeah, if they never yeah. visited or, that or, planet before, or, they have a universal translator for it. Okay, absolutely. Or for that matter, all the female crew members are dressed like 1960 style. You know, <laughs> you probably went around then, so that doesn't leap out at you, but it does me. So yeah, that's an anachronism. Now, reverse anachronism. So anyway, it's stuff depicted as being in the wrong era. Stuff in the present depicted as being the, in, in some other era, basically. Uh, but since you're from the present, you accept that because you'd be confused otherwise. Now, the reverse anachronism I came up with would be um, something from the present that you find in the past, not a depiction, but an actual thing or belief, object, or whatever. And here we have a flying machine from the present, and it's in the past. And uh, like I say, no one paid much attention to it the last few decades because we had nothing in common with it. It didn't belong to our present, so we shrugged it off. Um, but perhaps a better example would be uh, the so-called Antikythera mechanism. Uh, well, let me explain. If, we're, if you're going to have uh, reverse mechanisms uh, from the present that show up in the past, logic would demand that there are things in the future here in the present, but presumably we don't recognize them for what they are. Well, the Antikythera mechanism was found off the uh, Greek island of Antikythera, hence the name, in 1901, and when they found it, they didn't know what it was. Basically, it was a corroded mass of bronze gears. And they figured it was some clockwork thingy. And now we know what it is because it has come into synchronization, so to speak, with our present. And we can recognize what it is. It was an ancient computer. Um, not in the, the binary sense of something programmable, but in the old sense of uh, the programming being built into the design. It was a device for synchronizing the uh, lunar calendar with the solar calendar and, uh, and, and attract various other planetary motions with some precision, incidentally. Um, and the thing beyond that, it included what they call uh, planetary gears. Now, uh, if you own a car with an automatic transmission inside the transmission housing, will be some planetary gears. And no one knew anything about them until the Industrial Revolution when there was, they found some need for it, and uh, mostly driving cars and stuff because the 
as you turn, the wheels have to uh, react a little differently. Well, this machine actually used it. And we assumed this was, such things were unknown at the time. It must have represented uh, generations of acquired skill, accumulated knowledge, which then disappeared. We, uh, there's no further evidence. You know, this is where people start talking about ancient astronauts, like mm-hmm. that toy helicopter. That's used as evidence. Well, how could they have anything that advanced hundreds or thousands of years ago? E.T. had to bring it here. Oh, right, yeah. But how can we have it today? How were we able to invent it? The invention of the uh, manned helicopter is rather well documented. Uh, I assume the toy helicopter, which is kind of less demanding, uh, was easier to invent. And as I point out in the book, what you do is you, you take a, a whirly gig, and, uh, which is a common children's toy, and you apply some power to it, put a little English on it, and it will, and it will produce results that are delightful to a small boy. It'll fly up in the air. Uh, and I assume that's where this came from. And like I said, I don't think they needed to consult visiting uh, aliens uh, to achieve that. Now, there are uh, some examples in here that would seem to cry out for either some kind of a uh, time traveler intervention or alien intervention or something. But usually I'm able to find some fairly mundane way to explain it all. Um, Using Occam's razor, which uh, I tried to be religious with, um, the belief that the simplest explanation is the best, the one to go with. Now, um, I'm the first to admit that uh, the simplest explanation is not always correct. If, for instance, you ever took uh, organic chemistry, there's some very complex things going on, and, and they are, those answers are correct. Um, or sometimes in politics, you know, the, the, the Watergate scandal, that was, that was the, uh, the hard way to explain what was going on, but that was the, uh, the break-in that was all real, apparently. But... Um, when you get into that, uh, uh, when you get away from Occam's Razor, you have to explain a number of things that I find kind of daunting. One, that eight visiting astronauts would share our agenda and would do what we want them to do, uh, and do something actually understandable to us. Well, no, I don't understand my cat's agenda. Well, why would we understand? You know what? We'll have to get into more of this in just a okay. moment. We're talking okay. to Lamont Wood. The book is called Out of Place, In Time and Space, and maybe something that we have developed here, not something that maybe we picked up from some kind of ET intervention. Right, right. We'll have more to go this week on The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Neighbors, do you need to bring the final touches to your latest podcasts? Clean up the soundtrack of that holiday video. Mix together a few takes from your last jamming session. Process the audio files of the video game you're creating to sound just right. But look no further. Whatever audio-related task you're looking to perform, Amadeus Pro is the tool for you. It's the Swiss Army knife of sound editing. Go to hairersoft.com. H-A-I-R-E-R soft.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. 
ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with you Himbe and Super Femplex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 cap summer sale priced at only $12. Colon and answer 250 caps summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. You can't argue with success, and many people have found great success in fighting back colds and flu viruses with Ali C, the world's best garlic extract. So now, it's time to get even more success with the other great quality natural products from Affinity Health Products, like C Energy Liquid Vitamins, Lose and Snooze, and the One Day Diet, or Human Growth Hormone Support, Menopause Specialist for Women, and Joint Specialist. See these and many other quality Affinity Health products for men and women online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y-HealthProducts.com. Or call in your orders at 877-888-7126. That's 1-877-888-7126. Trust your health to the makers of Ali C, the world's best garlic extract. Affinity Health Products, the finest and most innovative natural health products available. This is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can. We're back with Gene and Chris and Lamont Wood, and we're talking about his book, Out of Place in Time and Space. And let me ask you the other question, which is, what about the existence of highly advanced civilizations right here on Earth? Yeah, yeah. How, how, come, how come they exist? You know, well, p- presumably someone, you know, managed to uh, sit still long enough to uh, develop the necessary means. Um, now, we're referring to what? Currently existing ones or the ancient ones or which ones do you want to talk about? We like to think that civilization moved in some kind of linear way. 
mm-hmm. you know, that with a few back steps along mm-hmm. history, yeah. you know, we were Neanderthals. We were humans. We work with stone. We developed all sorts of advanced technologies for their time. And eventually we arrived here. Mm-hmm. But the issue being, what would happen if something took out our civilization next week? Right. Now, 10,000 years from now, we might still have some humans left. Mm-hmm. But would they have any recollection except in legends that we existed and we reached this level of civilization such as it is? Well, I think that the population we have now being generally literate is accommodated to uh, uh, a level of technical civilization that they would try to uh, return to. Um, I would point out uh, Western Europe after World War II, and whole cities are flattened. And they didn't stand there after uh, arms folded and say, well, well, I guess we have to go back to the Stone Age now. They said, no, we're going to have to rebuild the sewer system and the water system and the electrical system and all the bridges, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they did that. And I really think our descendants... Uh, would not be jellyfish and would try to do something similar. Uh, admittedly, there is some level of, of damage that they might not, might not be able to overcome if they reduced to scattered survivors surrounded by large ruins. And presumably in 10,000 years, they would eventually rebuild some kind of civilization and marvel at these ruins. But uh, in that case, I think we would see them starting all over and, and probably reliving vaguely the history that, that we uh, see in our past. So basically, we basically relive our civilization, our development. So was there an Atlantis? Uh, it doesn't matter. I kind of doubt it. I haven't seen it. Uh, no one's found any convincing ruins. And we don't need for there to have been so, uh, for, the, for there to have been one. Uh, the, uh, uh, the course of our civilization is fairly, and the, the technology required to support it, and the development of that is, is fairly well known. And the things I found in my book are, like I say, outliers. They don't uh, refute uh, the major timelines. They just show that there's little pockets of <laughs> pockets of anomalies. But then we have to yeah. we have to account for them anyway. And you accounted for possibly the building of a toy that people did imagine, yeah, yeah. flying things in the sky, and somebody yeah. came up with something that is a toy. Mm-hmm. It's right, not something right. that you can fly. It doesn't show some kind of advanced propulsion system. No. It doesn't show an internal combustion engine. It's just a toy. Right, right. And almost anyone could have built one. And um, I, I do, as I wrote the book, I did notice a sort of an ongoing theme in that um, often children's toys don't seem to get the attention they deserve. They're just written off as you know, frivolous nonsense. Uh, that flying machine would be one. Um, we also discovered the uh, Romans had uh, steam-powered toys, which they did not develop in any direction. Um, and, of course, there's usual stories about um, tombs in uh, Central America where they find wheeled toys. Right, but they never used the wheel. They never, yeah. they never actually utilized it for purposes of carrying uh, heavy objects and uh, moving goods from one place to another. And presumably that was because they didn't have decent roads and, and draft animals. So it would have been actually no immediate benefit. But uh, you do have to wonder, not so much, uh, the attitude I, I take from this is not sit here, we shouldn't be sitting here thinking, gosh, they were stupid. We should be thinking, what are we ignoring right now? What, what game changer is sitting out there that four-year-olds are playing with that maybe we should pay attention to? Right. And then, and then you look at video games and, and oh, some of the 
technology that that's suggested in there. Well, Lamont, before we get too far along, and, and there are a, quite a number of these out-of-place anomalies that we're going to be uh, discussing, uh, some real fascinating ones, too, some that, that are real head-scratchers. But let's get a little bit more of a sense of you and your background, how you became involved in, in what is your interest, how, how did your interest become, uh, you know, a fascination to the point where you really started, you know, as you said, creating these magazine articles and stuff. Was it the, was it the painting of the Madonna and Child that really got you going, or was this was that just a straw that kind of broke the camel's back for you? Because that, that was obviously you, broke the camel's back, yeah. you you have done an amazing amount of research, and I must commend you on this. Uh, this is one of the better research books that I've read recently. And have you always had an interest in in these sorts of uh, subject areas, or why don't you give us a little sense of who who Lamont Wood is? Well, I have been a freelance writer for more than thirty years now, mostly in the high tech field, writing for computer and industrial magazines. And, uh, and constantly involved in research, trying to keep up on what's going on. And I've always been a history buff. And it's always, uh, as time goes on, and I see my field evolving rather quickly into, you know, things totally unexpected. You have to apply that yeah. to uh, the, the Gene, Gene can, Gene can uh, uh, identify with that. He is also a high-tech uh-huh. <laughs> aficionado, has, has another radio show that deals with, uh, with high-tech, uh, the high-tech subject. But continue, yeah, well, I'm sorry. Well, I thought camera phones were stupid when they came out, and let's see, see what happened there, you know. So, so I've been wrong quite a bit. And um, and looking back in history, uh, a lot of people have been wrong quite a bit about technology. It uh, seems to have a mind of its own. But uh, people latch on to what they find useful will run with it. Um, we have yet to confound the population, I think. Um, but anyway, I became a history buff. But um, uh, I, was all, I used to be a newspaper reporter, too and was aware about uh, how a lot of people uh, seem to look for the conspiracy theory and everything, when if you look, you will immediately find what I call the, the logistical theory behind it. Like, it was, it was all they could do, really. I mean, you, the road led there, and that's where they went. Uh, the horses had to be fed, and so they fed them. And, and those two things lend, meant the army went this way, not that way, stuff like that. Um, and... Uh, so I, I kind of combined that with this. Uh, I, I looked into these odd things um, and was usually able to find, like I said, the, the logistical answer. Uh, I'm, there's probably something profound there I should be saying. My mind is adrift here for a moment. But um, oh, the, the also, uh, as a history buff, I also was always impressed by uh, the Socratic approach, uh, Socrates. He uh, uh, looked into the matter and decided that um, – made two discoveries. Uh, one was that ultimately no one knows what they're talking about. And two, uh, all, all human logic is circular, probably because of number one. And uh, using that, that, that approach has never failed me yet. <laughs> That's, as, uh, have yet to uh, find uh, counterexamples. So uh, uh, combined all that and some research to, to go out and find, like I say, these outlying pieces of data, Mostly with the uh, on, on the basis of faith that I would find if I looked for them. The, uh, we have the book that's in front of us. I, I found like 42 examples, and that, that's only scratching the surface. There, there's more out there, trust me. But the the ones I have here are uh, at least entertaining ones, I think. But in every case here, there's a conventional answer. There's no mysticism mm-hmm. or paranormal or ET involved. 
I can't see anything where you have to say that there's some mysticism, but frankly, there's some I cannot uh, in good faith say that I have an answer. You know what? I think maybe as we progress with the show, let's talk about the stuff that stumped Lamont Wood. Yeah, the stuff that you can't explain. The (laughs) stuff that because that gets our listeners thinking about the possibilities, and we can look into maybe what those possibilities might be. The book is called "Out of Place in Time and Space," subtitled "Inventions, Beliefs, and Artistic Anomalies That Were Impossibly Ahead of Their Time." And I want to get into beliefs too. Okay. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future 
Center and call 1-800-686-2237. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extracts. Wild chaga and birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. We're not out of time or out of space or anything like that, but we're talking to Lamont Wood. The book is called Out of Place in Time and Space. So let me ask you first of all, before we get into some of these artifacts that might have stumped you, you're talking about beliefs that are out of place in time and space. What kind of beliefs? Well, knowledge that you would not expect people to have, such as the uh, best example and the one that really stumps me, possibly the most prosaic the one most people know about, would be the first uh, novel that Jules Verne wrote, and it was in 1865. And in his course of life, he wrote about 50 novels, uh, the minority of which actually were science fiction. But um, his first one was called From Earth to Moon, and he presents uh, an American space program to launch three men from Florida in an aluminum capsule and they go around the moon, return to Earth, land in the Pacific Ocean, and are picked up by the U.S. Navy. Does any of that sound familiar? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, and uh, it pretty much, metaphorically anyway, describes the Apollo 8 mission, which was in 1968, 103 years later. Now, um, going back to Jules Verne, he, in his science fiction novels, he makes a lot of technological predictions most of which were extensions of stuff that was going on in his lifetime, you know, air conditioners, cars, fax machines. Um, but it's hard to uh, go back to 1865 and see anything that you could build into an American space program to send men to the moon, uh, and especially with that particular scenario. And, uh, in fact, the novel um, includes a fairly uh, detailed budget for the, uh, for the project, and... Um, I've seen analysis that show that, you know, including inflation, when you figure in inflation, it's about 85% of the uh, cost of the uh, Apollo program up to the time of Apollo 8. Um, so I guess he didn't include enough managerial overhead or something. But <laughs> having said that, where did he get this, you know? It, exactly. It's dumbfounding. So, um, well, 20,000 leagues under the sea, too. Uh, the sophistication yeah. of the Nautilus uh, is another example of him being quite forward-thinking. Of course, we also have Arthur C. Clarke and uh, predicting the, uh, you know, the satellite. Uh, yeah, but, but th- that was more like, say, an extension of uh, known technology. But for this particular scenario, uh, it's just hard to see where he got it. 
Uh, and now, when you get into the details, of course, he didn't get it right. He would they had him use a cannon instead of a rocket, but the cannon would not have been believable in 1850. Um, and uh, he couldn't have described how to how to build one because he didn't know how himself. And he could describe how to build a huge cannon and all the things that went around it. So, um, uh, so I forgive him in other words. But every, but if you read it sort of metaphorically, it, it is so accurate. It is it is eerie. But. Uh, Anyway, no, I, so I don't have an explanation for that one. I don't know where he got that. Listening to echoes in the future or something. If you want to, you know, get mystical about that, go ahead. I can't say no. I can't but isn't that, that part and parcel of what science fiction writers have always done, which is kind of speculate on future developments, and sometimes they hit the nail on the head, and sometimes they don't. It's not just because the Star Trek phone from Motorola <laughs> was very much like the communicator in Star Trek or that the handheld computer in Star Trek Next Generation was very much like an iPad. Mm-hmm. Is it also yeah. that today we look at literature, we're inspired by literature, and when we create these things, we use that inspiration to make it so? Yes, uh, and what you say is all true, but in this particular, uh, when someone writes a science fiction novel, Remember, the main thing is the plot normally, and then you have some technological uh, assumptions, which presumably are something beyond what the reader is expected to have experienced, and, and therefore you have, introduce uh, some level of awe to it. Uh, in this, this particular novel, uh, the uh, the plot and the technology are two different things. There is no, there is nothing about the technology that requires, for instance. Uh, that uh, Texas made uh, uh, political uh, problems with the uh, project being located in Florida. And in reality, that is what happened, too. And that is why uh, uh, Mission Control is located in Houston. Now, why did he include that? You know, there, uh, this, that's completely out of, out of left field. It but there beyond is, but that's what did happen a century later. So... It seems beyond coincidental. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. some New Ages would argue that, oh, he must have been tapped into the Akashic records and he was able to pull these future events out of uh, some sort of, uh, you know, mystical hall of records and well, was able to well, then. Case, well, in that case, well, what about the rest? What happens after that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of agreeing with you there, Lamont. I'm not uh, I'm not refuting what you're saying. I, I do really have a sense, though, that the power of human imagination is uh, is is incredible, and I think uh, you know putting the science in science fiction uh, is is something that humans do very well. And there's all sorts of examples down you know uh, through the decades that we've been you know most of our listeners, I'm sure, are science fiction fans, but we've seen examples of this, but. But what do you think? I mean, what what is your particular uh, explanation or your assumption uh, about all this? I mean, how do you think he was able to come up with all these plot details that that are eerily uh, sound eerily familiar? Well, um, the simplest explanation again is the one I go with, and that 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 is that he got lucky. Now, um, and that's that's all I can say. I mean, I don't really have a, a theory beyond that. Um, now, there's been a couple of other examples in here where I, I say he got lucky, and, and there's more. Uh, I think it sounds more reasonable to say that. But in this case, there's just too much to be lucky about. So, uh, 
So I'm as dumbfounded as anyone else. I don't have a theory. I just put it out there. Uh, I'm not. I'm not here trying to win anybody over to any particular philosophy or viewpoint, <laughs> except maybe Occam's Razor. That's not like I say. That's the one I've been preaching. Right, good old Occam. Yeah. Good old Occam. Okay, we have Jules Verne from Earth to the Moon getting a few too many things right. right. You can't explain it. What else? Give me another example of something where there is this evidence of an invention or anything that just seemed a little too pat, a little too far advanced and too accurate to have a conventional explanation? Well, uh, it's not so much an explanation, uh, an invention, as uh, just something that really just defies explanation. Uh, and that would be the Voynich Manuscript. It's a uh, vellum manuscript that's been dated to 1420, and it's about more than 200 pages long. It's hand-lettered and hand-illustrated, of course, it has to be. That was before the invention of the printing press. Okay, so far, so good. And it's written in an alphabetical language. The problem is the alphabet is like nothing, matches no other alphabet on Earth. And uh, the, uh, the language it's in uh, can be uh, analyzed. They, they can find mathematical patterns in it, as you would in a real language. Uh, but it matches no known language. And... Uh, some of the leading lights in the field of cryptography have tried to you know, decrypt it, break it, whatever, analyze it, have not come up with anything. No one has really been able to prove, uh, in my opinion, that it contains any uh, information that a third party could extract. Yet it is laid out like it was a book, like it's supposed to be read by somebody. Um, uh, there are words that are in parts of it, but not in other parts, as if they belong to vocabulary of the uh, of the subject of that chapter or whatever. And then there's the illustrations, which appear to be about things, but when you look at them closely, uh, we can't figure out what they are. There, there appears to be illustrations of botanical information, but they don't match any known botany. There appears to be illustrations of astronomical information, but they don't match any known astronomy. Uh, uh, a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of strange plumbing and uh, women without clothes on, but they're not there to stand around. So, um, <laughs> it, it, no one has been able to figure it out, basically. Now, there are several possible explanations which aren't, which have big holes in them. One is that, you know, it's a hoax, and, well, let me, before, before I go into that, uh, the simplest explanation, going back to Occam's Razor, uh, for having something that matches the mathematical patterns of a language but contains no information, is that someone took gibberish and then encrypted it. And the act of encrypting it would add the mathematical patterns that make it seem like a language. Okay, that's great if you're going to sell it to the CIA. You know, it might, might amuse them for an extra few hours. In 1420, I don't think that was a big deal. Um, uh, maybe he did, you know, con concoct it to sell it to a rare book dealer. But why go to all this trouble? Yeah, what's the motivation? Yeah. I'll tell you what, before we get into those motivations, because... These are answers we may never find. The book is called Out of Place in Time and Space. The author with us on the PowerCast is Lamont Wood. So that means with Gene and Chris, you're definitely in the PowerCast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. 
We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, and Investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs. They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is hour two of the Paracast with Gene and Chris. Our guest is Lamont Wood. We're looking at the ancient or not-so-ancient anomalies we can find no explanations for. And we're trying to figure it out. Now, if you want to put your speculative hat on there, would you like to do that, Lamont, and suggest what the last anomaly you mentioned might be uh, caused by? The, the Voynich Manuscript, uh, the hand-lettered, uh, hand-illustrated manuscript, sure. 420, that appears to be in no known language, but appear, possibly is a language, or pretty sure. Um, there's a thing called OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, and people with that have been known to sit down and invent their own language and write a book in it. Um, but this was, uh, this was done in 1420, and uh, whoever did it had access to the skill and the tools needed, which were not in wide circulation, and, and it probably took a year to do the thing. Usually when someone does that, analysis will usually show that it's, they've taken their native language and like turned it 90 degrees or something, in the analysis, it'll, it'll surface when it's analyzed. But it, well, the question would be then, it, maybe somebody back then was doing what we do today to invent the Klingon language. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It would only take one, but then you, then you have to talk about the illustrations that go with it, that consistently appear to depict something, but on closer inspection, don't. Now, how would you do that over and over again? you think eventually you'd base it on something real just because it would be easier. I think this goes beyond OCD, but beyond that, I really can't say it. I'm, I'm mystified by this one. And um, I go so far as to think that maybe this is one of those reverse anachronisms in the future. We don't understand it because we're not equipped to do so. It's from, because we have nothing in common with it. Maybe centuries from now, we'll, we'll, we'll understand what it is. But I think for the moment, we're, we may as well get used to the idea we're not going to understand it. That may sound too simple. <laughs> <laughs> not very satisfying, but that that is what I've come to think looking at this. Well, occasionally, if you don't have if you don't have an explanation, and uh, you wear a, a hole in your head from scratching it, you have to kind yeah. of just yeah. cop a plea and say this just absolutely doesn't make sense. Now, as you point out in your book, quite a number of very talented uh, cryptologists and uh, you know experts in code have mm-hmm. looked at this and have been dumbfounded and stumped. 
right. uh, which I think should should be underscored here. Uh, it's not like average people like you, me, and Gene uh, have looked at this and said, "Wow, that's kind of weird, isn't it?" I mean, trained cryptologists have looked at this and they can't figure it out. And right. that, and that alone, I think, is very very. Uh, it makes this the Voynich manuscript extremely intriguing, and, and it's one of the most enigmatic of all historical objects. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I, I agree. Uh, you, you, you cannot find any rationality in it. You expect something, you know, someone did it for a reason, but we can't determine what that is. Or maybe that and person it, was totally insane, seriously. Yeah. This, well, yes, and it would only take one, but that insane person, like I say, had access to uh, some rather remarkable tools and skills and, uh, and had free reign to use them for about a year or so uh, and did so on a consistent basis throughout that time. I wonder what his wife thought. Yeah, really. Honey, stop writing that gibberish and come in here and have your mutton stew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, here's one that I've always been intrigued by, and it's it's I, I don't know how you would classify this, uh, but there have been inventions in the past that we know uh, through the historical record have existed, but yet the knowledge of it now has disappeared and we don't have a sense of how ancient man or back – I'm referring to Greek fire would be you know, the, the classic example of technology that supposedly existed um, at the time that we can't figure it out now. And, and that also dovetails into the whole uh, – I think it was 214 B.C. siege of Syracuse and the use of, of advanced optics. Why don't, why don't you first uh, – uh, let's talk about Greek fire. I'm not sure if you mention it in your book, but no, – and then let's they, go, go ahead and, yeah, and talk uh, about – I know what you're talking about, though. Uh, well, you've got to remember the ancients were secretive about it. This was you know, secret military technology. But from the various uh, depictions we, we, we do find uh, – we presume it was cheap gunpowder, basically, flash powder. The fact that they didn't shoot it out of tubes, well, they probably thought that was a dumb idea because, you know, it didn't have good metallurgy. The tube would, would burst and, you know, better to throw it for catapult, have it break open and do nasty things at the other end. So uh, it's been said that, uh, like, uh, Julius Caesar and Saladin and uh, Richard Lionhearted was probably as used to the smell of gunpowder as Napoleon uh, because Greek fire was, was used in their time. But again, they, they use it more for, as an incendiary uh, than uh, for, for explosives. You know, different environment, different approach. And it worked for them. So anyway, uh, but the, the other uh, – so you can't really say it went away. I probably we still have it. It's called gunpowder. Now, stuff that did go away, though, yeah, we still have that. You mentioned the Siege of Syracuse. That was in 212 B.C., and there are three different uh, Greek and Roman historians they give a blow-by-blow uh, blow account of what happened, and they've been sitting on the shelf for 20 centuries now, and they read light science fiction. But then you have to remember that the um, head of defense planning for the city-state of Syracuse was a guy named Archimedes, whom you may have heard of. And apparently, um, whatever his reputation was, he uh, exceeded it in real life. He, I think he was like the first mad scientist or something. The Romans, um, when they first assaulted the city, they described... Uh, being met by a hail of indirect missile fire coming over the walls and on them, and tracked them as they moved, even to the base of the wall, which they didn't expect. And um, this implies uh, three things. Uh, uh, highly tuned catapults with predictable results, um, accurate range finders, and central fire control. Now, you don't see that uh, in Western technology until 1912, oddly enough. 
Um, then they, re- they returned for a night attack. I mean, that one drove, they were driven away in, in the day attack. And they brought their ships up to uh, a point on the seawall or, or directly uh, faced uh, navigable water. And um, at that point, they described these large machines rearing up from the, on the other side of the wall, which reached over and either smashed their ships or capsized them. I presume, uh, again, it reads like science fiction, but uh, like I say, this, these, these are histories are obviously based on first-hand accounts. I presume Archimedes came up with uh, something that resembles modern construction cranes, with so the, the upright mast and the horizontal mast. And the, these were swung out to, to drop things on the ships or to drop grappling hooks, which then uh, 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 lifted them out of balance and caused them to capsize. Uh, there's no mention of the, these machines in Archimedes' writings. Uh, he, in fact, he doesn't, uh, in the surviving treatises that uh, come down to us, and there are quite a few, uh, he doesn't mention anything practical. Uh, it's all uh, pure research. But the research topics are things like um, how to establish uh, the uh, balance point of a ship, which, is, of course, is a good thing to know if you're going to capsize them, and uh, how to determine the uh, volume of a curved object. Of course, the ship's hull is a curve, and once you know the volume, you know how much it weighs, and you can plan from there. And uh, and also, uh, there was he once wrote on... Um, um, parabolic shapes, um, which is interesting because um, the, the Siege of Syracuse uh, is also known for uh, producing stories about the use of ancient Greek death rays, um, which we presume were um, billboard-sized arrays of polished metal mirrors, perhaps some parabolic shapes, uh, used to set fire to enemy ships. Now, th- this is not as well documented. Those first-hand accounts I mentioned don't mention, don't say anything about that. The, uh, this shows up in later Byzantine and medieval accounts, but must have been based on something. Uh, modern efforts to replicate this have had mixed results and discovered that it's not that easy to set a fire to a wooden ship, especially one for crew, you know, and buckets and stuff. But uh, I point out that um, setting fire to a ship may have been, you know, secondary. Um, the Romans were besieging the harbor. Uh, if in daylight they could, like, dazzle the uh, pickup boats, it'd be easier uh, to get the blockade runners going in and out. So that that may have been the, the simple tactic, just trying to drive away the, the guards and the pickets. Uh, which so so early early non lethal weapons technology. Right, right. Yeah, if you did if you did kill someone, you know, even better. But the, it wasn't necessary to do so. I I'll tell you what, we done. have Lamont Wood. The book is out of place in time and space. You're hearing Gene and Chris. You're listening to The Paracast. Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Fake Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 
2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use EscapeHarassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009. That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy Clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze Dry Guy, the best you can buy. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. We're back with Lamont Wood. Non-lethal weapons, the topic of discussion, or at least one of the strange anomalies of the past, because the book is out of place in time and space. I want to just segue to one thing here, which we didn't get to before that much. 
beliefs. What are the beliefs that seem strangely advanced for their time? Uh, belief in like um, antiseptic surgery, belief in monotheism, belief in the n-squared law of mutual attrition, which is kind of technical, but this is completely out of place. Little little things like that. No, some of this is noise. Like I, I point out there that, that thing from Molly about Sirius, the star Sirius, that that turned out to be noise. Um, when you look into it. But it's just a one of a kind, one off, weird thing, and that's it. No, I mean it's like cross cultural contamination. Sure. Uh, when you look at you're referring to the Dogon uh, borrowing yeah. from the Egyptian. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to have known that that Sirius is a double star, basically. And uh, where did they get that? Well, they got it from probably their people who have been serving the French army since World War One, and some of them must have read an astronomy textbook or something. Uh, there's no real evidence that. They they knew it was a double star or attached any uh, any uh, importance to it, and uh, and I, as I point out, without a fairly nice telescope, it's impossible for the human eye to separate the two. So uh, it's uh, it's noise basically. It's like a cross cultural contamination. There's plenty of other stuff. Uh, speaking of military topics, like say there, there's a Admiral Nelson at Trafalgar. He wrote a fairly this was in 1805, and he wrote a fairly detailed uh, plan for what he was going to do that day because he uh, wanted them to, protect, to attack the French fleet in a, a certain way based on the groupings of the French ships, and he was fairly precise about that. And we had no, wide, why, no idea why he was so precise until 1916 when someone formulated what we now call the N-squared law of mutual attrition. And um, when you take his uh, memo for the battle plan and apply it to that, you realize he was using that law, and it worked out perfectly. And the... Uh, crushed the French fleet that day when, uh, if he just sailed in there with no plan, they probably lost. We don't know if that's what he was using. He was killed that day by, by an enemy sniper. But, uh, like I said, it fits perfectly. But that was, like, 111 years later. So, uh, again, we don't know where it came from, how we, how we knew that. But probably he spent a great deal of effort trying to figure out how to beat French, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he came up with something that looks like the N-squared law of mutual attrition. So lucky guess, or no? Like I say, he like I say, he spent a great deal of time analyzing the situation and what he was going to do, and uh, the results look like look like the N squared law. Or maybe he did formulate it himself. If so, he didn't he didn't write this up and leave it with anybody. Uh, we we just don't know. But, but of course, he didn't survive the battle, so maybe he would have. I, I don't know. Well, and since we're on the subject of navies, how about the uh, the Humley, the Humley, the well, submarine, uh, the first submarine that. It was seemed to be impossibly ahead of its time uh, to some to some people. Well, yeah, uh, when you look at it, uh, it appears to have been designed by a, a modern engineer who knew what a submarine ought to look like and not to do. And it's all there, all the ballast tanks, the planes, everything you would uh, put nowadays into a submarine if uh, basically you had to were stuck with using. Uh, uh, muscle power and lighting with candles, which is not really the way to do it, but that's, that's all they had. Uh, and they made it work if you ignore the fact that it sank three times and drowned its crew each time. But if, ignoring that, yes, they got it to work. It's a good example, not so much of a, of a reverse anachronism, but of what I call the bleeding edge of technology. There's the leading edge, you know, the, the early adopters, people really in on something, and uh, the bleeding edge, people are, really shouldn't be trying, and they're, they're way too ahead of themselves. And uh, this was a case of that, you know, good engineers presumably think in parallel because they're, they're doing it the same data 
the same problems, the same goals. And the, so the people involved in this had the same goals as modern submarine designer. This had uh, far more limited resources, and it shows, basically. They were barely able to get it to work. Uh, so I think it's a probably there's a lesson in that, I think, for all of us. Uh, I look at the, the space program nowadays, and I think, are, are we just, you know, the Hunley up there? I mean, uh, we can barely get this to work. I mean, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't be uh, expecting a whole lot from it. And uh, that was the case here. And it, it did manage to go out and get three miles from shore and sink an enemy warship one night and did not make it back, basically. We're not, they have since found the hull, and we, we're not sure what happened to it. There's no holes in it or anything. But... Um, like I said, yeah, they, the, they really the design, to... the design was so far ahead of its time. It had a conning yeah. tower, it had uh, advanced propeller uh, yeah. mechanism, yeah. Uh, a torpedo right. <laughs> of, right. of, of, of sorts. I mean, kind of sorts. not not yeah. not like we we would uh, think of a torpedo yeah. now. Um, that's that's a really good example of of leading edge technology. Another good example would be someone like Nikola Tesla. Now I don't mm-hmm. I don't see Tesla's name mentioned in your book. No, one has to, you, had to leave, had to lead something for the second you know edition. Oh, okay. Well, okay. We get a scoop here at the Paracast. Uh, okay. But, uh, have you have yeah. you investigated Tesla? I mean, what what do you think uh, of Nikola Tesla? Well, uh, I'm not sure either. He he uh, talked about he wanted to do things that we still are not doing which is to broadcast power, not uh, radio signals, but actual power. So that, you don't know, plug in the light bulb, you set it there, and his station from across town or something would power it. Now, um, and apparently uh, work to some extent, I'm not, I'm not sure how safe it would be or be considered nowadays, but it was abandoned in his lifetime. And I, consi- I, I tend to think it was abandoned for good reason, that it wasn't really as practical as, as he said it was. Some of the stuff, you know, works mathematically. And when you uh, get into the actual field, it's, it's more trouble. It's worth or something. And I suspect uh, we're into something like that here. He he was uh, both genius and madman. He was a very strange individual. Uh, he was the one who was had love affairs with pigeons or something, and, and lived by himself. And it, it's, it's a long story, anyway. <laughs> but um, yes, we uh, he did things that uh, we still haven't really, really figured out what he was talking about. Uh, that may be because some of it was gibberish or some of it was over our heads or something like that. Um, and I think just now people are beginning to uh, revisit some of the things he did and see if it's really practical. So, not, so you don't buy into the whole theory that the U.S. government stole all his work, uh, somehow was uh, responsible or at least complicit in his uh, death, and that mm-hmm. uh, there's no secret space program or secret weapons technology program with scalar weapons uh, Creating earthquakes, uh, steering the jet stream, all these uh, wonderful uh, <laughs> harp, uh, you know, the high uh, yeah, oral well, atmospheric research program. Uh, a lot of these conspiracy theories I run across, uh, they have one thing in common, which is a belief that the U.S. government really knows what it's doing. And uh, I don't see any other evidence of this except for the touche, touche. Okay, and. Uh, now, I'd love for some of them to be true. In fact. At least you want to see then some evidence that the U.S. government or any government can possibly be efficient, can be responsible, right. can actually know what they're doing. The book right. is called I- Out of Place in Time and Space. It rhymes. Lamont Wood is the guest with Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast.
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. A novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hey, Bill, pick up line three. It's Brian. Hey, Brian, what's up? Brian here. Thanks. Hey, Bill, I just received my shipment of the safety net, our full-year emergency food system. I can't tell you how great it feels to personally not have to worry anymore, especially with the growing threats to our everyday food supply. Brian, not only are you getting 4,320 nutritionally dense, delicious food servings, but the individual serving price is just $1.43 per meal. It's truly great tasting food at amazing prices. The variety is also a huge bonus, Bill. It's like having access to a full menu of impressive food. Well, it really is a safety net for those worried about the coming food shortages and how their families can Prepare. It's great knowing I'm covered for the future, but I gotta go, Bill, and get all this food unloaded. With scorching heat, devastating U.S. cropland, there's never been a better time to visit safetynetsavings.com. That's safetynetsavings.com. Visit safetynetsavings.com today. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 
269-409-1776. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at alkavision.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So, does the government know what it's doing? And if so, uh, when? And uh, how? And when's that going to happen? I've never seen a situation here, parenthetically speaking, where fewer people than ever, especially in this country, accept anything the government does as evidence of competence. We have uh, Lamont Wood. The book is called Out of Place in Time and Space with Gene and Chris and the Powercast. And that's another question here. With these anomalous things going on, do we see evidence that governments 50, 100, 1,000 years ago, that they knew what they were doing? Or no, were they just as inefficient? They were just as inefficient. They had a, occasionally took on impressive projects uh, that still mystify us. But one of the reasons it mystifies us, can't, we can't figure out why they did it. There's no, no obvious purpose in it except maybe to put somebody's name on it. Uh, like the pyramid or whatever. I mean, their the equivalent of a bridge to nowhere. Right, a bridge to nowhere, exactly. And, and a lot of these things are that bridges to nowhere. Uh, are, are we supposed to be impressed by this? Uh, I really don't think so. Uh, they're nice monuments, but uh, should we run out and duplicate them? No, we, let's, do, let's do something useful. You know what I mean? Now, some um, wacky leader. Yeah, some wacky leader. Some wacky dictator says, I'm going to have a monument to me. If it takes 100 years to build, I don't care. But go ahead and do it. Otherwise, you'll be whipped to death. Like Muammar Gaddafi and his his canal system that's that's state-of-the-art, world-class, and should be probably duplicated by other countries around the world. Uh, Classic example. Okay, well, at least some of these things are probably make-work programs. You know what I mean? It kept people employed. But... um, and some of them, uh, probably, uh, at least uh, a couple of them that I use in examples in here were, were at least accessible to the common man and were pretty to look at. Uh, the Parthenon, for instance, I use that as an example. Um, it's a building we really don't understand. It has all these visual refinements in it. For one, we could not duplicate nowadays to save our lives. And two, we don't know why they did it. It appears to be have been designed so that uh, a person standing in front of it viewing through his curved eyeball would perceive it as being perfectly rectilinear. Why was that important? Had they built it to be actually rectilinear, like we do nowadays, it wouldn't look that much different. Uh, most of these refinements you can only find with careful measurements. Uh, but they, they managed to get it in there, and it's now thought that uh, there's no, not one single building stone in the thing that's actually uh, rectilinear straight angles. It's, they've all been carefully sculpted as part of this master plan of an optical illusion. What's the point? You know, it's, and uh, we really don't know how they did it. We could guess, you know, they did polish each stone very carefully. We know the Greeks were heavily into geometry, and this must have taken all their skills. But, again, why do that? Again, great make-work project, I guess. Uh, get those geometricians out there and, you know, put them to work. They had all these unemployed peasants, and they had to give them some employment, uh, put yeah. them on the government dole and all that yeah. stuff. And all those, like I say, all those geometricians, you know. Uh-huh. But why do and, we want to believe that there was some kind of interaction with an advanced civilization? Uh, why would I? Well, uh, an advanced civilization would have used trigonometry to do the same thing. and probably gotten different results for one thing. They used <laughs> the their geometry. calculators. 
Right. And uh, the other thing is, why would an advanced civilization care? Why, why would anyone care? Why did they care? Uh, it has no purpose that we can figure out, uh, except when you're standing in front of it. And uh, so you give you some uh, idea of uh, perfection, I guess. That was their idea of it. Um, they had to impress the gods somehow. Now, I think the gods they were talking about were the ones uh, in there, uh, Olympian heaven, and not the ones in the UFOs. But, uh, but beyond that, we don't know. They never explain themselves. And, and this is from, uh, you know, historic times, documented eras, uh, a period of time when we have people writing memoirs and histories and all that stuff, and they, and they do not explain it. How far back can we go with some of these anomalous artifacts, at least in uh, your research? Uh, the, farthest, the oldest one I came across, apparently, is the Sphinx which you'd think would be uh, explained and documented and everyone knows what it is. It turns out, actually, no, we don't know what, what's going on with it. There's Explain this there. in more detail for our listeners. Okay, well, the Sphinx sits on the um, edge of the Giza Plateau by the Nile. The Giza Plateau is the place where the, all the pyramids and the, uh, quite a few other tombs are located uh, that the pharaohs built. Um, now, most of these tombs and pyramids, et cetera, et cetera, are fairly easy to date because they got the guy's name on it. And uh, these things are built cheek and jowl around the Sphinx uh, in a way that suggests that the Sphinx was there first and they had to build around it. Okay, um, these, uh, the newer things, the, dated, the datable things, you can uh, still see chisel marks on them. Uh, the, the rainfall there is only about an inch a year. But the, the, uh, the Sphinx itself, when you look at it, you find obvious signs of water erosion. Yet, like I say, the, uh, the monuments around it show no water erosion. We presume it's, so you have to presume it's actually much older than the monuments around it. How much older? Well, the last time there was significant rain there was during the last ice age. And that puts, puts us back to like 7,000 BC, uh, which is kind of odd because then who did build it? Did that, that would require some culture living there at the time that can handle heavy masonry construction yet didn't build anything else and, or, or leave any other artifacts. Not a single tomb, not a single piece of pottery. Uh, so th that's mystifying. We, uh, we don't know how to proceed there. Now, there, there are people who take a middle ground and say, well, during all the construction, uh, when the pharaohs were so busy, the, maybe the uh, runoff got really screwy and it all flowed toward the Sphinx. And uh, that may in fact be true, but they still think there, there's, there's too much uh, water erosion there to account for that. So um, this is another one where I don't really tend to uh, uh, explain it. I just say that there is this controversy, and everything you know we thought we knew about the Sphinx is in fact conjecture. We we don't really know who built it, why. Uh, fairly know how, I guess, but we don't know who built it, why, and when. But that, that that's the, the oldest, most mystifying thing in the book, I believe. Really. So that that would be your that would be your vote for the most enigmatic of all the ancient. Uh, yeah, all the ancient things I've come across so far. Anyway, now um, of course there's the pyramids next door, but we know who built them and and, and when. We don't know why. I keep running across these people t talking about how uh, the uh, the measurements are uh, uh, used in making the pyramids, uh, how precise they were, and. Uh, how good the surveying was, et cetera, et cetera, and how this makes it a mystery or something. And uh, I have to point out, uh, the shipyard I worked in 40 years ago, uh, in a previous lifetime, the ship fitters were required to be accurate within one thirty-second of an inch. 
And uh, the biggest tool I saw them using um, was string that was covered with powdered chalk. And you take one end of the string, you hold it over one point, and you take the other end of the string, hold it over another point, and you stretch it tight, and then you'll plink, and it leaves a nice little line between the two holes, between the two points. And uh, and with that, they were able to maintain the accuracy within one thirty-second of an inch. Of course, they had you know measuring sticks and all that stuff, but lasers and all. I don't remember any of that. Optical instruments, I don't really remember that either. It was all uh, human eyeball stuff. And um, they got to within one, like I say, one thirty-second of an inch. Um, I'm pretty sure the pharaohs had that same technology with the taunt string and stuff. Um, and uh, last measurements I ever saw on the Great Pyramid was that the base was like 750 feet long or so. And they were accurate to within 50 millimeters, which sounds impressive, but in a shipyard, that would not have been permissible. That ship wouldn't have floated. You had to be, like, say, within 132nd of an inch, and that's only about two or three millimeters. So, um, and, and like I say, they use uh, unaided eyeballs for most of it. So... Um, I really think that the construction of the pyramid uh, shows the kind of accuracy that you would you would expect, considering they had a b- bunch of guys out there in the desert using taunt string. So, are you following me so far? You, yeah, absolutely. Why, why, why I'm totally I've used a, a I've used a string line many times. Right, right, and it works well when you do it right. It takes a little practice. It takes three people rather than you know one person with the laser. So we've abandoned all that nowadays, but uh, it does work. Okay, you know it works. It works to tell you that we have Lamont Wood, mm-hmm. who has written a book called Out of Place in Time and Space. If you're listening to Gene and Chris, and of course you're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. 
Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Back with Gene and Chris with Lamont Wood. We're talking about his book, out of place in time and space about inventions, beliefs, and artistic anomalies that were impossibly ahead of their time. <laughs> now, everything you're telling me so far, they're one-off, two-offs, they're things that happened and didn't happen again. So we forgot about pyramids after we built a few. Right, right. Exactly. Now, um, a uh, different theme, there's the, uh, the Pantheon in Rome, and it, it covers a couple of themes you were talking about, about uh, ancient buildings we don't understand and mysteries, and, uh, but also about um, technology that was uh, once known, then abandoned, and then rediscovered, oddly enough. Concrete. Um, if, you ever, if anyone ever even <laughs> reads into the history of that, it's too prosaic, I think, for most people to follow, but usually depicted as being uh, part and parcel of the Industrial Revolution, um, mostly for financial reasons. Um, with the Industrial Revolution, they had the uh, kind of accumulation of capital that could successfully demand the uh, accelerated construction of large buildings. And uh, with that, you really need concrete. And we can trace it back to a uh, British patent issued in 1799. And it's all true, and you know, nothing wrong with that story. And then you go back to ancient Rome and discover these buildings made out of concrete, which is a little odd. Uh, but again, during the Roman Empire, they had the kinds of accumulation of capital that 
could successfully demand that large buildings be erected quickly instead of relying on uh, quarried stone. Um, in uh, pre-scientific times, you, the only thing you could do was quarry the stone and let it sit out for about two years and see if it crumbled or not. If it didn't crumble, then you would use it. So obviously, you couldn't have a, any kind of uh, accelerated building space, uh, pace. But with concrete, you know, you pour the stuff and you're done. You know, it takes about a month to set and harden completely, uh, and, and then you're ready to go. And you can use forms to get any shape you want. Um, concrete is made by taking limestone and heating it until it crumbles. The Romans apparently had access to scenes of limestone that had been heated in, by volcanic activity. Uh, and so they got the same effect. And in the middle of ancient Rome, modern Rome also, there's this thing called the Pantheon, which is the largest freestanding uh, concrete dome in the world. It's a freestanding rotunda. There's Rotunda nowadays it would be like the Capitol building. There's offices on either side of it. And the rotunda is in the middle and gives us some dignity to otherwise you know, sterile collection of offices. Uh, in this case, it's just the, the rotunda itself. We don't know why it's there. Uh, except just to have a huge building, apparently. Um, uh, this, uh, we would not dare build such things nowadays without uh, rebar, but uh, they were clever and got by without it and used like large marble fragments and very thick walls, which became thinner and thinner. At the top, they were using like pumice or something. So far, so good. Um, but then we have to, again, uh, going back to the theme of complete uh, mysteries of why they built it, usually it's described as a temple. Uh, but Roman temples uh, were built with particular purposes in mind and usually had uh, rooms devoted to particular purposes, including the uh, inner sanctum and rooms around that usually face the rising sun, for instance. The Pantheon has one door. It faces the north. There's no space inside of it for an inner sanctum. It's all just one open rotunda, uh, the big open space, round space in the middle. Uh, we can't see that it, ever con that it ever contained anything. There is a inscription on front of it. Instead of a dedication, as you would expect from a Roman temple, it's a credit line, and it credits to its construction to someone who died in 12 BC, uh, which is odd uh, because we know the building was constructed in 126 AD, which is 130 years later. So yeah, so the inscription is wrong. So uh, we don't know what's going on with this building. We don't know who built it, why. We kind of know how. It's using a technology we, we thought we invented, but it turns out they knew all about it in, uh, Republican, in, uh, in Imperial Rome. So uh, again, we have something out of place in time and space, basically. Speaking of temples, let's talk about Baalbek uh, for a minute and the uh, the trilithon stones, the three stones that make up the podium, mm -hmm. each one is in excess of 800 tons. Right. Now, some engineers have uh, kind of said today that we would have a very difficult, if not impossible, time um, actually quarrying, hewing, and s transporting and setting in place these particular huge monoliths. Do you think that they had some sort of uh, advanced technology that allowed them to do this? How could just sheer muscle power have, first of all, quarried, hewn, and then transported and set in place these particular stones? Uh, you don't mention this in your book. Well, well, quarrying and hewing is not that demanding if you have enough people involved. You drill uh, round holes and you put uh, wooden wedges in and you soak the wedges and you, and you bang on the stone between the holes as the wedges expand and crack the thing. 
and that that gets you started basically. And you, you don't need fancy tools. Uh, as far the, the thing would be getting it there, uh, especially getting it there without breaking it. And if you had had enough people involved, I'm quite sure you could. And uh, and if this again, if this was uh, some kind of make work program, uh, the more the merrier. And, uh, but that still implies efficiency. You're going to get hundreds or thousands of people together on right. a project that's going to take, what, decades to finish? Perhaps. Oh, no. yeah. Uh, oh, the, easily. Uh, the pyramids took uh, 20 years. The pyramids had uh, like 20,000 people working on them at a time, and it took like 20 years to build. Um, and that didn't seem to have been an issue. Um, Again, yeah, but those, you're talking about you know one to three ton stones. We're talking almost a thousand ton blocks. Okay, uh, well, the, remember the pyramid. Uh, it's like f- totally about five million tons worth of stone. So, uh, and there were uh, individual blocks inside of it that were up to a hundred tons. So, um, yeah, but I not a thousand tons. We couldn't even lift a thousand ton stone today. Um, perhaps, perhaps not. I. Uh, I, I really don't know, but I suspect they uh, uh, they must have found somebody to do it because there it is. I mean, I'm going back to Occam's razor here. Uh, uh, again, if you uh, have enough uh, wedges and enough uh, people involved, uh, and keep in mind too, the thing isn't um, you don't finish it until you get there, so you leave knobs on it for attaching ropes and things. So uh, there's all sorts of tricks and so on. Uh, but I, I, must you always assume there's a simple explanation, or uh, as simple as you can imagine for the period of time that this happened? Uncle Ockham would say that. Yes. Well, yeah, Uncle Ockham would demand that I do so, and I, again, I'm going to stick with him because. But is Uncle Ockham always right? Uh, no, sometimes he's wrong, and um, but if you want to invoke, you know, extraterrestrials or something, anything is possible. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it has okay. to be ET. Okay. I'm okay. just saying is. We're trying to craft an explanation that allows for the technology that we know about, okay. that we knew possibly exists in their time. We're imagining efficient construction companies, efficient governments to manage a project that takes 20 years to finish. Right, right. Well, that, Aren't we stretching a little bit here? Inefficient government? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But you got to remember, sitting here, we don't really know the technology they're using. Um, when uh, I ran across fa- uh, the fact that the, here where I, where I live in San Antonio during the 20s, they, they uh, moved some buildings out of a floodplain and very carefully in position um, without anyone really. Uh, there, there were people still inside the buildings working. They didn't, being in the 20s, they didn't use uh, uh, many utilities. And what they did is they put them on large blocks of ice and slid the ice into the new location along these uh, pathways they built. Um, so uh, is that technology uh, more advanced than what was used then? Not much, really. Uh, I bet they had access to ice, too. So um, In Lebanon? Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's called winter, you bet. And uh, so what I'm saying is just all sorts of things they could have done and, uh, and combinations of those things. Um, just sitting here, we, uh, we can't really probe them all or assess them all. So um, I think Uncle Ockham would again demand that uh, we assume that they figured out some way to do it, based on the fact that it is there, and, and, and you know, et cetera. Have, are you familiar with the work of Christopher Dunn, who has uh, uh, traveled I'm, around uh, megalithic sites all around the world, I'm, and I'm, has he's he's I think in a very convincing way 
come up with evidence that it seems that ancient megalithic uh, builders had some sort of power tools where they were able to actually create impossibly perfect straight line cuts, um, even uh, cuts on a curve um, that would suggest that they had uh, technology that we don't normally assume, Uncle Ockham aside, that we don't normally assume that they had. Also, uh, evidence of uh, the possibility of Egyptians having electric lights, uh, for instance, to to work uh, in in very dark uh, uh, underground uh construction sites. I'll tell you um, what, Chris, the lights will be turned off if we don't do this. We're talking to Lamont Wood with Gene and Chris on <laughs> the Paracast. That was good, G. <laughs> Someone tickling your toes. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back. Final hour of the Paracast with Gene and Chris. The lights are on again. And we're talking to Lamont Wood and the suggestion made here. Are there indications that they had techniques and technology that's beyond what we would have expected. Because when we talk about the pyramids, we're not looking for advanced technology. We're simply taking what we knew about ancient Egypt and imagining them using that technique or those techniques to build the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not necessary that they had electricity, especially in the pyramids. And you don't see any evidence of wires and motors, etc., now, you do see occasional uh, depictions of things that look like light bulbs. Uh, the most convincing one uh, is, uh, the pictures I've seen are rather convincing on one side. It does look like a, a neon bulb that kind of gets kind of bulbous. On the other side, you notice it comes out of someone's loincloth. So you may have to admit that we're not talking about a light bulb here. But, um, again, if they had electricity, I'd, I'd love them to have done so, but I, I think they had little oil lamps and and squinted a lot. So, uh, uh, like I say, where are the wires? Where are the motors? Where are the batteries? Understood. But again, we're saying here the pyramid is not out of place in time and space. No, I think the pyramid is a a huge uh, monument to someone's ego. 
and uh, they used available uh, techniques to, to do it. They may have been on, on the edge of what they could do, but they managed to do it. Well, in researching this book, did you find other evidence of things that may on the surface have seemed to be out of place in time and space, but actually were pretty consistent with the times? Um, well, the big thing there, uh, and when I talk about it, often some people I feel like I'm at a children's party popping balloons, would be the depiction, uh, so-called depiction of UFOs in uh, Renaissance and medieval church art. And uh, the, the examples I have looked into, which a number of people have seized upon, uh, I have to point out that uh, in all cases, uh, the uh, painting was following the contemporary uh, sort of visual vocabulary of how to depict uh, the divine presence or something, something similar. And uh, as if they're all working from the same script, yeah, it's called the Bible, you know. Uh, the, the best example would be that monastery in Kosovo, uh, where they have a crucifixion scene. And on either side of the crucifix uh, of the cross, there appears to be uh, these flying machines that look vaguely like uh, Apollo capsules in the early 60s. Uh, not Apollo, uh, Mercury capsules, one-person one Mercury capsules, uh, as if they were uh, drawn by some not very skilled uh, uh, folk artist. And um, and if you look at it that way, yeah, it looks kind of convincing. Couldn't be someone attempt to draw a you know, Mercury capsule, which is odd because the, these things are, the painting was made in 1350. Um, but then you look at it some more, and you also, you also have to look into, like, Byzantine uh, iconographic traditions, which are rather well established. And in this case, uh, what you have is one of the flying things is red and has a male face and is moving toward the cross, and the other is silver and has a female face and moving away from the cross. And the red one is, would be the sun, and the silver one would be the moon. And uh, they're trying to uh, illustrate the fact that three of the Gospels say that. Uh, it was dark that the day of the crucifixion from noon to 3 p.m. So you have to have something in there that indicates light conditions are changing. So this this is a standard way of doing it. And this is hardly the only uh, fiction, uh, Byzantine depiction of the crucifixion. It shows uh, something red and male and moving one way and silver and female moving the other way. That, that was the way that they handled that problem. So um, uh, it was in the 1960s that people started pointing out that calling these things UFOs and, you know, discovering them, all that stuff. And that was, uh, again, when uh, the Mercury program was in all the newspapers. So I think it basically affected their perception of this. Uh, but it, it goes with the, the other so-called UFO depictions I've found. Uh, in, in each case, you can pretty much assign it to uh, existing uh, church traditions. It's a, Basically, we're taking our modern visual vocabulary and imposing it people who had their own, and it's probably, they had a rather rich, well-defined one. Uh, sure, and, but that uh, doesn't mean, then, that they can't apply. Because if you lived, you know, in the era of two or 3,000 years ago, and you observed something that today we would identify as E.T. or advanced aircraft, that's how they talk about it. Right, of course. Uh, but then you have to say, okay, what is it? What are Ezekiel's wheels? Uh-huh. Right, and, and, I'm, and I'm saying that I'm that, that <laughs> these things can't exist. Uh, <laughs> it's not my uh, well, you, belief. You also have the effect them. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but since we're on the on the subject of religious icon, iconography, I think that's the term. 
what about the Mahabharata and, you know, very detailed descriptions of Vamanas, uh, flying vehicles that supposedly existed uh, in ancient India? I mean, how do, uh, how do we explain that? That, that? I don't see any mention in your book of, of the Vamanas and, and the one uh, supposed city that was destroyed by some sort of nuclear type event where you have a whole plane of melted glass. Uh, I mean, there, there are examples of uh, out of place and out of time uh, machines and events, uh, in this case in India, where we can't really uh, reconcile, uh, you know, ancient descriptions of flying vehicles and instructions on how to build them even uh, in the Mahabharata. Well, my reaction to that is similar to my reaction to the space warfare scenes in the first uh, version of Star Wars. And uh, they're zipping around there and shooting at each other and stuff. And, and, and orbital velocity, that, that wouldn't work. You wouldn't be close enough to see each other. Uh, accelerating like that would kill you. Now, in the Mah- 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 oh, I forgot how to pronounce it. But there, uh, there again, it's very visual. Uh, it would be very exciting to uh, watch. But I don't think it's realistic. Uh, I, I think it's someone's imagination at work, just as it was in the Star Wars movie. So... I may sound dismissive, but that's my take on it. Well, it's Uncle Occam again. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the the whole idea of Amanas and, you know, you can even go down and and look at Solomon and flying carpets and, you know, uh, I mean, there's other examples from, you know, religious uh, texts that indicate that there was a level of high technology that ancient peoples somehow had access uh, to, but some sort of evidence of that in terms of empirical scientific evidence doesn't exist anymore. Uh, do you feel that all this is allegory and it's all, you know, just people being creative, uh, you know, thinkers and artists, uh, if you will, in terms of interpreting ancient events? Or do you think there's a, a, some sort of germ of truth there? No, I think most of it is written for entertainment purposes. And uh, the fact that a little of it uh, is evocative of uh, subsequent technology is uh, about what you expect. Um, but I, I think most of it is done for entertainment purposes, and we shouldn't take it that seriously. Especially especially uh, flying carpets. Talk about impractical. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to throw that one in there just to uh, kind of stir up the uh, the pot a little bit. Rather inefficient, where are the creature comforts? Yeah. If you're going to fly, at least you want to have some kind of enclosure because you got to think of the wind. Right. Just the yeah, wind okay. itself could be sufficient. To drive yeah. you a little bit nuts, you know? And, and you, you need someone to give you those little peanut things that they yeah. give you on the flights. But, of course, on the desert, it was 130 degrees. They might look forward to that, you know, just slip around and <laughs> 100 mile an hour wind and whatever, you know, whatever. So, uh, so we're, we're not forcing like? you to believe in E.T., you understand? Oh, no, I understand. No, we want to look at all the possibilities and not say, well... I decree, based on Occam's razor, that there has to be a simple explanation, even though we don't know what the explanation is. We're just guessing. Right, exactly. You, but, you weren't there. I don't think that you did the quantum leap and you jumped yeah. back into the past or anything or you went into some kind of dimensional anomaly yeah. and ended up at 1430 B.C. or something or wherever you intend to go. But yeah, the book yeah, is called... It's just deus ex machina, in my opinion. It's just too easy. The book is called Out of Place in Time and Space, subtitled Inventions, Beliefs, and Artistic Anomalies that Were Impossibly 
ahead of their time with Lamont Wood. You're listening to Gene and Chris on The Paracast. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Neighbors, do you need to bring the final touches to your latest podcasts clean up the soundtrack of that holiday video mix together a few takes from your last jamming session process the audio files of the video game you're creating to sound just right but look no further whatever audio related task you're looking to perform amadeus pro is the tool for you it's the swiss army knife of sound editing go to hairsoft.com h-a-i-r-e-r soft.com As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us off the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to protect your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They both have maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them until now, your cash would have the buying power of only $4,800. But your gold and silver would have the buying power of $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call John Ballman today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before your money is worth zero. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze-Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze-Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System 
system today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. We continue with the man who wants to find a simple explanation and hope it's the right one. Lamont Wood, the book is Out of Place in Time and Space. We're exploring the mysteries, trying to figure out what went on and when. Now, Chris, we had a question from the audience somewhere a while back. Can you dig that up and let us know what it is? Yeah, this one comes from Jerry Brett, and he's he's a fairly recent uh, addition to the forum community. And uh, it's a rather lengthy question, and it refers to a post uh, of a thread at the forum.paracast.com that I talk about an anti-creativity bias. Uh, that seems to exist in culture. And I, I think this goes back into, uh, you know, all the way back into ancient times uh, and all the way to the present. And he says, in one of your posts, uh, Chris, you discuss, do you have an anti-creative bias? That was the title of my thread. And he says, we often look back in our Western history, the Inquisition comes to mind, and say, look how the establishment of church and government restricted people's thoughts and controlled their ability to think creatively. That said, many of these anachronistic anomalies, out-of-place or time inventions, were discovered or rediscovered in those unenlightened times. Today, creativity in the fringes of science continually comes under the scrutiny of the scientific method, and many creative ideas are at first ignored, ridiculed, or suppressed. Would it be fair to say that today, science and its established foothold in the mainstream can as much be a hindrance to the creative mind as those before mentioned oppressors of old? He mentions that he heard you on another paranormal broadcast, and there is no time travel involved in his book, just observations of what appear to be anomalies. He says he looked up the child's helicopter, and it appears that this was an invention of the Chinese, not a time-traveling space alien planting anomalies on saviors or in icons. So I, I think basically the thrust of his question here is, could it be that one of the reasons why these types of anomalies exist is because they weren't recognized at the time because of the culture, and it's only during future generations uh, where you know, our creativity and our, our, our anti-creativity bias, I should say, uh, doesn't come into play as much. I mean, could that be an explanation for why some of these anomalies were not really acknowledged or even understood at the time? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, in many cultures, uh, there's no room for creativity because, or, uh, because 
that you, everyone is you're supposed to know your place and accept it, and to do something that uh, lets you uh, get leave your place in society and get rich, like inventing something, uh, that is frowned upon. And uh, there are such cultures right now. We're not in one, but uh, and some of those cultures are out there and they resent us greatly, and uh, they plot against us, and you can fill in the blank. So uh, there is that. Now, now as far as modern science being a wet blanket on creativity, uh, if you're going to make a living as a scientist, you've got to be able to uh, basically get someone to hire you. And to do that, you have to fit in and uh, convince them that you can contribute to whatever project they had in mind. And whatever project they had in mind that's already gotten funding is probably not really from out of left field. It's something that's already established and that's not very controversial, rather. So, yes, it can be a wet blanket just because it's, it's basically a, a not so much a branch of big business, but it's sort of modeled on big business. Uh, if you want the money, you're going to have to play along. Now, uh, uh, inventions still get made. There is still progress, uh, especially around the edges. But uh, as far as doing something that would uh, make everyone think you're crazy or that they would dismiss as something frivolous, uh, you would be very slow to do that. And that brings us back to the helicopter. Um, again, it was probably considered frivolous. No one paid any attention to it, uh, as well as those steam-powered toys the Greeks and Romans had. Uh, frivolous. You know, no one paid any attention to that. But uh, have I answered the question? I forgot. <laughs> I lost my train of thought again. So, uh, <laughs> it, it seems to me that it, it, it tends to be the visionaries and the artists that come up with uh, a lot of these anomalies. And, and possibly they're just inspired uh, by their creative imaginations. And it's only in hindsight that when we look back and we say, wow, that, that doesn't look right, that possibly we identify, you know, a, a hidden sort of germ of creativity in some, you know, long ago uh, artist who happened to come up with, with some sort of visual or, you know, a, a representation of, you know, in the case, you mentioned Jonathan Swift, I think is a classic example of, of an artist who came up with some out-of-place and out-of-time observations about astronomical, uh, you know, in terms, I think, what was it, he, he talked about, uh, uh, I think, the moons, the moons of Mars, if I remember correctly, and that was back in, in the early 1700s. And uh, I think you also mentioned that Voltaire mentioned Martian moons uh, a couple of decades right. later. Um, so it, it seems like artists tend to be the ones that come up with depictions of out-of-place and out-of-time technology or, or facts. And then well, it's only yeah. in hindsight that the rest of us pick up on it. Yeah, well, let me pick up on that for a moment. Um, you got to remember, the average artist is not really constrained by uh, physics and, <laughs> and logistics and uh, all that stuff. If you, because they're they're well, Uncle Ockham. Yeah, Uncle Ockham. Yeah, they're they're depicting things now. Uh, in my research, I came across one big counterexample of a guy who was not only way ahead of his time, but managed to managed to um, reduce it to practice and actually build uh, real things. Um, and accomplish something with it. And that would have been Archimedes, again, back in the cities of Syracuse in 212 B.C. or so. And uh, he was able to defeat Roman armies with these inventions he came up with. Apparently, he was a genius of full government and financial backing, something you rarely see, uh, but he pulled it off. Now, um, uh, when I started writing this book, people seemed to think that I was going to be doing a lot of stuff with uh, Leonardo da Vinci, 
because he designed all these things that were way ahead of their times, he rarely uh, reduced any of it to practice. It was all, uh, in most cases, uh, drawings, and like he had that drawing of the helicopter. It wouldn't have worked because there was no uh, mechanism for countering the uh, torque, and uh, the blade would have turned one way and the body would have turned another and wouldn't have been practical. Um, so uh, going back to Jonathan Swift, he was a writer who uh, uh, wrote satire and uh, travel books and combined them in Gulliver's Travels. And at one point, his hero is in a, uh, a land, I forget which one, Lilliputer or something. And uh, uh, Swift wants to show that the, the scientists there are superior to European scientists. So uh, he depicts them as having made all these astronomical discoveries unknown in Europe, including two moons of Mars, which he then goes on to describe in more detail than you would expect. He uh, talks about how far they are away from Mars in terms of planetary diameters and their uh, orbital period in terms of hours. And we'll get into Jonathan Swift and the moons of Mars with Lamont Wood. The book is Out of Place in Time and Space. And you're here with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Alex Jones here with vital information concerning our nation's fragile food supply. Folks, there are some truly dangerous trends forming, and I think it's important for my listeners to do three things right away. Number one, study the past. History really does repeat itself. Number two, learn to spot the dangerous food shortage trends. Number three, take decisive action. A perfect storm is brewing or a global food crisis. That's why I'm telling everyone to read the new book, Rising Prices, Empty Shelves. Warning signs that trigger the deadliest famines in history. Don't get caught unprepared when the crisis hits. This book is only available at risingpricesemptyshelves.com. You'll also get a free copy of Supermarket Survival, How to Cut Your Grocery Bills in Half. Again, that website is risingpricesemptyshelves.com. That's risingpricesemptyshelves.com. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888 888- 
401. Pass. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. You know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, reading the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we jump to Jonathan Swift. Right. A couple of those moons on Mars with Lamont Woodley. <sighs> with Gene and Chris. Okay, let's find out now as they say the rest of the story. Okay. Um, the short answer, which I will now flesh out, is that he, he talks about the moons of Mars 150 years before they were discovered. He, in Gulliver's Travels, he depicts these two moons and then uh, as existing, well, and then describes them in terms of um, their distance from Mars in terms of planetary diameters and their orbital period in terms of hours. And they're fairly close to the planet and rotate in, the matter, in orbit in a matter of hours. It's a short story. And 150 years later, they discovered Deimos and Phobos uh, orbiting Mars. And they have rotational distance of only a few planetary diameters and orbit Mars in a matter of hours. So uh, it looks like uh, he was eerily accurate. In this case, I have to argue that he just got lucky. Uh, and, and in this case, I don't feel so silly as I do in some other cases saying the guy got lucky. Um, he wanted to show that the uh, astronomers of this little pot or whatever it was that Gulliver had ended up, ended up in had pretty much confirmed uh, Kepler's laws of planetary motion, which implied that uh, the celestial realm is governed by the same laws of science uh, that govern our actions here on the surface of the Earth. And Kepler's laws of planetary motion involve a ratio between uh, a planet's our, our body's oral period around its uh, central body and the um, uh, and the distance from that body. And with two moons, you can show that uh, ratio. And if you do the math, yes, it does. Uh, the moons he invented do uphold Kepler's laws of planetary motion. However, if you plunk them down into the real uh, Martian gravity field of Deimos and Phobos, they don't. Uh, they don't follow the ratio. They're off by about a factor of six. So, in fact, he invented them without knowing anything about Martian gravity or, or ha any, any real knowledge of 
of uh, astronaut, uh, astrodynamics. And so what you say here is if enough people invent something in a fictional story, sometimes mm-hmm. they'll get these things right. Yeah, yeah, and he got it. And really, it's not that. It's, it's deceptive of how accurate it looks. It really isn't that accurate. Uh, presumably, he noticed that uh, the Earth has one moon, and uh, then you have Mars, and then you have Jupiter. Jupiter had four moons, so in between uh, Mars, you'd have at least two moons. Uh, uh, with three, it would, it would acquire more mass to make it match Kepler's law, so he just stuck to two. And so there we have it. Now, um, so like I said, 150 years later, they, they discovered actual moons there, and it seems deceptively familiar, but it's, it's really only that. It's only, only familiar. It doesn't really match this description. So the person who created the communicator on Star Trek, whether it's Gene Rottenberry or one of his writers, he didn't know that would really happen, but it seems sensible. Yes, well, but based on other stuff, they had at that time, you got to remember, uh, wireless telephones and walkie-talkies they just were clunky and cost more and were fairly big. It doesn't match the technology we had. Cell phone was not invented in the 60s. It was invented in the 70s by a guy from Motorola, but obviously it was based on two-way radio technology. Right, and you could have you could have two-way radio phones. Uh, there were a certain number allowable in every city. It, did, it cost a fortune, obviously. You had to be on a waiting list uh, b- because you had to share a bandwidth with everyone else. With cell phone technology, you have to share bandwidth with everyone in your block, basically, so it, it makes it much more practical. Well, now, of course, we still have bandwidth problems when you get mm-hmm. those drop calls. Right. Well, when, when you sell hundreds of millions of them, there's a limit, you know. <laughs> well, they don't care about it. That's the problem, too, is that the wireless carriers, I think, provide the minimum amount of service they can deliver before you start screaming. Mm-hmm. And if you scream too right. loudly and there's too much customer churn going to other carriers, they'll take a few billion. If they're not trying to spend $39 billion to kill a competitor... They'll spend a few billion to give you better service. Right. All cold mathematics out there. That's it. And, uh, and they'll say anything to you that they, they think will make you feel better on the phone. So that's why they didn't build all these advanced aircraft 100 or 200 years earlier. No, I don't think the phone company was involved in that, really. Um, I think that was <laughs> because uh, they couldn't pull off the necessary uh, mot- uh, lightweight motors. Steam just didn't work. So... Of all the items that you examine for the book Out of Place and Time and Space, do you have a single item, and maybe you've mentioned it already, but a single item that just totally got you gobsmacked, as they say in England? Oh, don't say anything. Um, uh, there are so many. Uh, again, I mentioned uh, uh, the Voynich Manuscript, which is dis- disturbing any way you look at it. Um <laughs> No, no, it's not all the naked women that are depicted in no, there. No, right? it's, not, it's not on every page. You know, Just check. Okay, right. No, it's, it's this is a family page. radio show. We can't get into the implications. Right, right, right. But the, okay. no, the totality of it. In fact, it makes no sense that it even exists. But there's a lot of artifacts out there that make no sense that they even exist. But that's because uh, we don't share the basic assumptions of whoever built the thing or made the thing. And if that's the main takeaway from the book, it would be that, that you cannot assign uh, your agenda to everyone else. Uh, And we're guessing, really. I mean, when you say, I know that this is a simple way of doing it, we don't know what went on in that person's head, where they were at, what experiences they had, what they encountered, or anything like that. Right. Um, uh, But again, I I keep coming back to Archimedes. He, He... came up with these huge machines that defeated the Roman army 
the Romans came into uh, possession of the city, and you don't hear any further mention of those machines. Apparently, they just used them as kindling. They probably didn't understand it themselves. And he invented the so-called death rays. And um, a modern analysis of his final, uh, last surviving manuscript indicates that um, he understood what we now call calculus, which we usually uh, think was invented by or about the time of Isaac Newton, about 1700. And he also understood uh, what we now call number theory, which we date back to about 1890. And there he was sitting, actually, 212 BC or so, writing this stuff. So um, that's jaw-dropping. Uh, but it's an inexplicable note. The guy was a genius, obviously. Um, and uh, again, there is the um, Jules Verne and his fairly accurate description of the uh, Apollo program 100 years before it started. Um, uh, another theme, though, that always caught my eye, it's not really inexplicable, uh, but it really catches my eye, would be um, the pre-modern attempts to build a computer. It's just there's always been this underlying hunger for computational power, and a, a few people, uh, given the least uh, a hope of succeeding, will have m made a run at it, including the two people I described in the 1820s and 1830s, uh, Babbage and uh, Lady uh, Augusta Byron, uh, who tried to build a uh, mechanical one. Uh, modern analysis shows it probably would have worked, uh, but they fell uh, afoul to what we now call creeping featureism, which, uh, and if you see this in a, in a modern project, uh, be, be sure and speak up, because basically what you do is you, you come out with something that seems reasonable uh, and make a plan based on that, and then uh, the next day you have uh, a whole bunch of new ideas you want to add to it, so then you have to redo the original plan, and then, then you're stuck in this loop. You keep, you keep adding things to it. And, and that wrecks the original plan, and, and that is what happened in this case. And uh, it's not the last, uh, let's say, computer development project that fell afoul of that, but uh, uh, certainly wrecked them. Um, uh, but which would be my favorite? Oh boy, uh, I guess I'm fond of all of them. But um, the eeriest one to me was the one about uh, Vannevar Bush and the. Um, magazine article he wrote in 1945. He was, had been uh, President Roosevelt's science advisor during World War II. And in 1945, he wrote an article uh, complaining basically that the paper-based uh, information management tools then available had become totally inadequate. And he sits down to describe what he would like to see. And then we want to get into that in a moment because okay. Vannevar Bush is also a figure in some UFO-related speculation oh, that we yeah, will yeah. not get into. No, we, we understand that. Lamont Wood joins us. Okay. We're talking about all those crazy anomalies. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. 
the site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Hello friends, Alex Jones here. You all know I've worked for years with Steve Shank and eFoods Direct. I have eFoods for my own emergency food supply. You know, Steve, life is different now for all of us, isn't it? Very different. People are using this great food to survive the present hurricane season, and we've already had $40 billion worth of damage from floods, storms, quakes, and droughts. And that's just the first eight months of this year. Natural disasters are newsworthy, but only touch a few of us Americans. The huge issue of the Greatest Depression is on everyone's mind. The unemployment, the loss of homes, lost businesses, and skyrocketing food costs are hitting every American. So everyone needs food security. Folks, this month you will get free shipping on every food order from eFoods Direct. That's right. Every order gets free shipping starting September 6th. Get stocked up with the best storable foods out there with eFoods Direct and be prepared for any emergency before it happens. To take advantage of this special, call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. 
This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We are back with Lamont Wood, and by the way, he has also written a lot of blogs for Information Week, if you want to explore a lot of the technological aspects of our world, covering such things as printers, servers, and green business. Yeah. I had a keyboard the other day, by the way, that works on light to draw the power, but we'll go into that in another time. We're talking about Vannevar Bush, someone who is a figure in the UFO mystery, with right, Gene and right. Chris on the Paracast. Lamont, explain. Well, there's a bigger mystery than that. Uh, like I say, he wrote a magazine article in 1945 complaining that the paper-based information management tools then available had become completely inadequate. And if anyone would know about that, it would be him because he had been President uh, Roosevelt's science advisor during World War II and had struggled with things like developing the atomic bomb and jet airplanes and radar and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, he was probably wading through piles of paper every day. And in this magazine article, he sat down to describe what he would like to see which would be information on an electronic form that you could establish links between when you saw them and store these links and call them up later and display it on your desk on these translucent screens, presumably from some kind of high-density microfilm, although he didn't, he didn't go into great detail about what the technology ought to be. Now, uh, taking that as a totality, you realize what he's talking about is a web browser with a forward and back button and URLs and a keyboard and a little scanner to add things, except he didn't really foresee the Internet. He assumed that all this would be built into your desk and it would be updated once a month to the post office with the latest journal articles and whatever. But you can, the thing is you can call this article up online and read it on your web browser, and it's really eerie reading it, realizing he's talking about what you're doing right then. And he had no idea. He was just hoping for this in 1945. And again, I guess, you know, uh, facing the same problem, maybe engineers often think in parallel lines, and we ended up with something that answers what he was asking for. Uh, but again, the, the uh, people who designed the web were, of course, under the same pressure and wanted to accomplish something similar. But it, it is just startling. Now, um, did he have some German foreknowledge? As I point out in his article, he gives an example of using it to research a particular topic involving why the English didn't trade their longbows for uh, the uh, longer-range Turkish bows that they encountered during the Crusades. And he thinks it was just an example of cultural inertia. And he gives the example of someone uh, uh, doing this research and deciding it's cultural inertia. My point out, if you do the research nowadays, the first thing you discover is that those Turkish bows did not work in the presence of humidity. They had to be stored in heating containers. Uh, they were made out of exotic glue that was derived from the mouth parts of Daniel River sturgeon or something bizarre. And um, back in England, they would have been useful only for kindling. They wouldn't have worked at all. So, in other words, uh, the British weren't really dumb <laughs> when they did not adopt the, that technology. But, uh, but obviously, he didn't have access to modern research tools. And, and the contents of those tools. He was just making up something based on uh, something he'd heard someplace. So, uh, no, he was not tied into uh, something from the future. He was simply speculating. Now, as far as his uh, participation in some uh, super government running the country and 
uh, as a front for UFOs. Uh, I really <laughs> good luck to them. That's all I can say. <laughs> Well, basically what I'm getting from what you're saying, uh, you know, in, in your book and here in your appearance on the Paracast is necessity is the mother of invention, going back to right. the old cliche, that right. uh, if there's a need uh, for some new device or tool uh, or method, it's just it's, it's, an, it's a natural process for that uh, need to be actualized by some creative individual out there, which gets back to uh, our questioner's point about creativity, that it's the creative types in our societies and our cultures that tend to come up with the ideas that then presage uh, the invention, which then um, mm-hmm. gets actualized. Right. At some point, something has to be invented from nothing. And, uh, and to assign that process to uh, some kind of data sex machine, I think, is a little demeaning, especially as we see it going on all around us. And I'm pretty sure there's no, there's no ET involvement. Well, they have to also think out of the box. I mean, didn't yes, well, Henry Ford once say that if they took customer surveys of what they wanted, they would have had a faster horse and buggy? Yeah. So somebody has to kind of say, <laughs> let me dream of something to a mass-produced car, a telephone with a touchscreen, mm-hmm. or a tiny computer like right, the one right. on Star Trek Next Generation. Now, I'd like to make two points uh, at this point. Um, I can remember. I'm getting old here. One is that uh, it almost... Well, I was going to say. It almost doesn't matter. Uh, well, there's two things. One, the rule of thumb is that if, if it's conceivable, someone has tried it. You probably didn't work in most cases. But the ones we do hear about and the ones that do affect us are the gadgets that can be uh, uh, used in what's called a network effect. Or uh, one person inventing writing for his own purpose, that's interesting. But having a literate population, that creates a new sort of civilization. Uh, Henry Ford building uh, one automobile or horseless carriage for one person, I mean, that's a nice feat. But mass-producing them for a nation, and then, uh, which then builds nice roads, and uh, that creates something new, doesn't it? Uh, one telephone, uh, or two telephones, two of them, is interesting, but to wire the country, that uh, is another thing altogether. So it almost doesn't matter what the gadget is that you're inventing. The question is, is it possible to uh, get a network effect out of it? And that is what really affects civilization, in my opinion. Like I say, books are nice, but be able to mass produce them with a printing press uh, is something else altogether. And, well, nowadays yeah, it's your e-book reader. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> I would also point out again, that the, the effect is usually, uh, you really can't foresee what it's going to be. Going back to what I said when we first got on here, uh, yes, I've been following high technology for years, and you would think uh, I would have thought that the, the camera phone was a great idea, uh, and everyone would latch onto it, and the effects would be far-reaching. No, that was dumb. No one's going to use that. Come on. You're just hoodwinking teenage girls with some you know, shiny gadget, you know. But, uh, but I was wrong. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's uh, been widely adopted and it has far-reaching effects. So we can't hire you as the head designer at Apple no. Incorporated when Johnny Ivy leaves. No, no, I, and uh, I'm not sure I'd keep a straight face, actually, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> for, for, for a number of reasons. Having followed Apple all the time, the, the, uh, the joke is that the difference between them and the Boy Scouts is the Boy Scouts has adult supervision. Well, maybe that's how it works, maybe how they succeed. Maybe that's how it works, yes. But I'm, you have okay. to look at the thing with the eyes of a child. Right, exactly. And imagine the future, if you get too old, get out of the business. Right, yeah. and, 
I can, I'm pretty, pretty much too old at this point. I think for that. But, uh, but as I went back to, again, going back to the thing I discovered, there's this ongoing theme that they don't pay attention to toys, but they should. There's all sorts of stuff going on there. Little steam engines, flying machines, wheeled objects, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course, you know, fanciful stories. And fanciful stories, yeah. The so sense of wonder. Look at look at what all the GI Joes in the '60s did to uh, to this particular day and age. <laughs> oh God, yeah. But uh, look, I mean, um, uh, skateboards. How did they do that? Uh, <laughs> if everyone had that, what, what would it lead to? You know, and uh, why are we bothering with all these <laughs> fans, uh, heavy automobiles when we can we can zoom along anyway? You know, it doesn't take that much to learn it. So. Um, uh, in some so, cities, of course, when it comes to cars, you wonder why they learn to drive, but that's another story. The book is called Out of Place in Time and Space, subtitled Inventions, Beliefs, and Artistic Anomalies That Were Impossibly Ahead of Their Time. Tell our listeners where they can find more of the things you do, Lamont Wood. Uh, well, for this book, you can, of course, go to your bookstore and loudly demand that they stock it. Scream loudly, yes. Yeah, yeah. And right. Let's get the, the title right, or my name. It's L-A-M-O-N-T-W-O-O-D. Or you can find it uh, under the name on, on Amazon. Uh, other than that, I mostly write for computer and industrial magazines. And, uh, you, you Which is why we're going to invite you on the other show, The Tech Night Out Live. So stay okay. tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Chris O'Brien, tell us more of the things that you've got going. Well, ourstrangeplanet.com is where you can find more of my work. And also, I'm a moderator at the forum.theparacast.com. And I'm sure we're going to have a lively discussion after Mr. Wood's appearance here on the Paracast. And I can't look forward to it enough. Uh, I think that uh, this has been a great show. Lamont, thank you so much for being on. And uh, we're going to have some fun on the forums. And you're invited to participate as little or as much as you'd like. Okay. Glad to hear Our next week's episode of the PowerCast will have Peter Robbins talking about his friend, Bud Hopkins, who passed away recently, also the Rendlesham UFO case, all this and more next week on the PowerCast. The PowerCast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>